You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. All right, so we continue our study this morning in chapter 11 of Hebrews on this subject of faith. We're going to finish this today. It's a lot. That's a lot. I know, 17 through 40, uh, but it's just the way it the way it went as I put it together, all right? And as I said uh, last week, this isn't just saving faith. This is living faith uh, that is gone. Go- uh, your a- everyday life, you know, day-to-day living. It's sanctifying faith. It's the faith that we grow in on a daily basis as we walk through this life with the Lord. That's what I was trying to say. I should just stick with my notes. The main purpose of... Uh, of the author's intent on this chapter is to demonstrate to his readers the effectiveness of faith, right? It's power to sustain us in all things, in all trials, to obey in the face of great opposition, and by that you obtain blessing from the Father. So verses 17 through 19, they begin with this theme of testing or trial. All right, so we're going to, it's recalling this very uh, a very severe, if you will, severe moment in Abraham's faith. And it says, by, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he, uh, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Other translations say received him back as a type. Um, So when it is said that Abraham, we know this story, right? (laughs) You don't have to, you know, he, he is asked to offer Isaac. And when it said that, says Abraham offered up Isaac, this meaning uh, in the Greek is that it he did this in purpose and his intention was he he did so like it was a done deal the perfect tense here is Abraham's full intention to do as God had asked him to do his obedience was was that that the deed was good as done right and we're like what would it be like to be there you know or to be him and to be be well you're not Abraham you don't have to worry about it he could do that though because he knew it says he knew the God he was dealing with it was because Abraham knew with the knowledge that God was holy infinitely holy and therefore whatever he commanded of him was righteous because God had commanded him to do it he knew he was uh, omnipotent and therefore if need be it says he'll just raise him from the dead Right? 
He, you have to put it all in a line here. He knew that God was wise, and although it seemed like this very difficult situation, this seems to be an odd request. He, God's in control. He must know what he's doing. It's not me, for me to worry about. This is God's doing. So, in a sense, his problem, not mine, right? Abraham's responsibility wasn't to figure out how Isaac was going to be delivered. His responsibility was to obey God. He, he knew with knowledge that God was good. And he knew that it said, Isaac shall, shall your offspring be named. And all this stuff was supposed to come from that, right? So he just reckoned God will raise him from the dead. So the Lord never intended to see Isaac killed. We know this. But he uh, had asked this from Abraham. But the Lord had orchestrated this event to test Abraham's faith. And as a side note, I didn't put this in here, but this is what other gods had actually did offer, you know, requested or commanded people to do. People sacrifice their children. God didn't, he doesn't want that. He didn't want that. But he's just testing the faith. So he orchestrated this event to test his faith, to create also an example of Christ. Abraham's test was whether he lived with this understanding of God's power to keep his promises, even past the point of death. Because once Abraham raised that knife over Isaac, it became clear who Abraham trusted. It was God. And the writer says Abraham trusted the Lord to just raise Isaac from the dead. Because of his belief in God's power then to resurrect, Abraham had no reason to hold back. And in the process, Abraham was used by God to produce this picture of the Messiah. Because and the writer says that Abraham received his son Isaac back. It says figuratively and is back as a type in the original language. And what the writer means is that Abraham took Isaac to the mountain with this expectation to sacrifice, to kill him. And Isaac... He willingly submitted to his father's plan, even though it required his own death. Isaac willingly placed himself on the wood like a cross. And all the while, Abraham expected to leave the mountain with his son. Right? Because he anticipated that the father would resurrect Isaac. So in the end, Isaac didn't die, but it can be said that Abraham received his son back because the Lord issued a reprieve. Abraham and his son combined in that moment to create a type or a picture of God and his son Christ. All right. 20 through 22. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So he's concerned, the author's concerned to, to point out to us here that, that, that all these men, they were undeterred in their faith when it come to death. Because each one here, this is about dying. They trusted God's promises up to that point, uh, all, or all the way to that point. They, they would receive the promises only in, well, in their resurrection. All right? We know sometimes it's things just don't make sense <laughs> to us, right? 
We have to simply trust in the character of God and his attributes when it comes to those times. So each time in the lives of the patriarchs here, it was their belief that God's promises will await them in a new life and a new body that sustained them and informed uh, their, their life choices. That's the, writer, the, the writer's point about them. It's about us as well. As believers, we don't just give lip service to our faith in Jesus and what lies ahead. We, 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 we are to be prepared to live our faith in tangible ways. So I, you know, I'm not going to go over each one of those men that were listed. That point was The point is what I pointed out. They were undeterred in their, in their faith in all the way to death. So now he's going to transition to Moses. And Moses receives the most uh, mentions of faith in this chapter. Um, And the examples of the patriarchs centered on their expectation of resurrection. Um, Moses' emphasis of of faith response is to persecution. We start at 23. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's uh, edict. By faith, Moses, when he he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be uh, mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the, the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as, uh, as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. All right, so uh, it, this is by faith, by faith, right? It's funny, it says, by, by faith, Moses, when he was born, <laughs> was hidden by his parents. Well, it means his parents, right? It, it was by faith that the parents of Moses acted there in 23. That ex- so that explains to us who they were, or it at least explains their conduct. They acted in faith. They had to have received some, some sort of information, some sort of divine or direct revelation from God. Uh, and, or God had informed them uh, of something. So that formed their, of that foundation of their confidence. It supplied the, mo- uh, the motive and the power for what they did. <laughs> and it's true uh, that they knew... They would have known the prophecy given to Abram in Genesis 15 uh, that the time for deliverance of Israel from Egypt had been drawing near. And they also knew from the prediction of Joseph in Genesis 50 that God was going to undertake uh, what, what he was going to undertake for his people. So verses 24 and 25, they highlight Moses' faith then in renouncing the privileges and pleasures of Egypt. Um, the, the original audience who might have been uh, concerned with act, the, the actual uh, or potential loss of position in their day and prestige with their peers as well with this uh, potential monetary loss going on. Uh, but verse 24, it, it tells us that it was by faith that Moses responded to his call. 
And, in, and it goes on. It suggested that Moses had this clear understanding of his calling from God. And it was his faith that motivated him to renounce all of this in Egypt. And in Acts 7, uh, verse 22, Stephen, the first martyr, he said that Moses, it says, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Okay, so that means he knew, like, he was learned in all. That would include total indoctrination in all these mysterious e Egyptian cults, the main ones that had gone on, the highest literary cultures of that time, and even military, the most intense and, and best military training that was available. He had all this then. So he, he walks away from it. And this was 40, he was 40 years old when he chose to obey God's call. So Moses, he did not seek any of the world's or the culture's prestige. He sought the will of God. He didn't care about all those things that, uh, that was offered to him that was right there and was his. He had everything that, uh, that he, you could have wanted, right? Back, I mean, we, there's just so much stuff. He, he turns his back on it. He leaves. His motivation is given in verse 26. He believed that the reproach of Christ had more value than all of Egypt's treasure. So Moses understood the coming of Christ and his sufferings. And when Mo Moses suffered, he knew he, would be, he was suffering with Christ. The same Christ whom the author is encouraging his readers to identify with. So as the exodus began, Moses exhibited faith in God's word as he performed the Passover meal, just as it was prescribed. And Moses took God's word as a, a reality when the Lord promised to spare the sons of Israel if they applied the blood uh, on, on doors. And the promise of God was that judgment was coming, but those who accepted the sacrificial blood applied in faith would be spared from that judgment. Moses complied, and he instructed the people of Israel to do the same. And in so doing this, Moses acted in confidence that God's word was true even before events came to pass. And he did this. He convinced that his obedience would be rewarded with the sparing of, of the lives of Israel's sons. And in that process, he creates this, the most powerful Old Testament picture of atonement right, of the Messiah. And further proof that when God's people obey in faith, we become part of telling the story of God's mercy and grace uh, to the world. And then finally, Moses, he, he, we, he, we, he led the people uh, across the Red Sea. We know this, probably the, ever, the most well-known event of his faith, right? He, he leads Israel into a dead end <laughs> right there. He does this because he's following the Lord, though, right? Moses and the people stood on the brink of destruction, it looked like. Pharaoh's army was closed in. And Moses said um, in Exodus 14, 13, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. So Moses knew the Lord's promise to bring Israel out of slavery and into the land. So that it seemed, the situation to the, the Israelites, it seemed ho uh, bleak and hopeless. But faith is never without hope. So Moses declared that God was about to do a miracle even before it happened. 
And then he lifts the staff. Waters parted. They go through on dry land. And then the enemies are swallowed up in the waters because those promises did not apply to them. And it was, it was so it was an act of faith then that Israel itself walked through the waters. They must have had fear of the, those walls of water on either side, but they still went. They went, they ventured forward on the dry land, confident that the, the Lord was going to hold back that water because they trusted in God and they were saved in the physical sense. There's also a picture of baptism, Moses' baptism. So there were all these supernatural displays of God along that journey. But the Red Sea marks the beginning of Israel's departure from Egypt. And now the author moves to this other bookend in the Exodus journey, which is Jericho. And that's Israel's encounter uh, with Jericho serves as this official end right, of their wanderings and their entrance into the promised land. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And we know this one too, I think. These are the familiar stories. Just as the beginning of their journey was marked by an act of faith, then the end, the conclusion is as well. In that the story of Jericho, it begins with Joshua. He's leading the people of Israel into the land. He has circumcised all the nation, celebrated the Passover for the first time in 40 years. And now they're actually eating off of the land because the manna has ceased. And the Lord appears to Joshua, tells him that this wall, this walled fortified city of Jericho has, has been delivered into his hands. That all that Joshua and the army had to do was just march around this city for seven days, carrying the ark, blowing their horns or shofars. And at the end of the process, on the seventh day, the walls of the city would come down. So the Lord gave very specific instructions here, right? And Joshua gives them, uh, he, he relays these with equal precision, and then the people followed them carefully, and the walls come down, right? There, there's actually, uh, I have heard, uh, read and seen, there's actual, the walls didn't like fall, crumble. It's almost as if like, they, they have found that these walls and it's as if a hand had just pushed these walls down into the ground. <laughs> so it's pretty neat. <laughs> Verse 31, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So Rahab is one of two Gentile women that are listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, we've gone over that before, but she, she's a resident of Jericho. Uh, she's also a prostitute, it says. She occupied the, the lowest rung then in the ladder of society. Uh, and being a Gentile, she carried even less stature among the people of Israel. But here, when the spies of Israel entered the city to assess uh, the strength of their army, she's the one who secretly protects them from the king. And she says that all the people in the city knew of the exploits of Israel in Egypt 
and in the land, they understood the, these miraculous things, these supernatural things that God had done. They knew that the people of Israel were being led by God, uh, more powerful than, than all of the other gods or so-called gods of Egypt. And the news of God's power caused the people of the land to faint in fear of Israel. And, and Rahab says, the people knew that the Lord who led Israel was the God of heaven and earth below. So when the king learned that the spies had entered the city, they came to Rahab's home to capture and kill the spies, but she responded to the knowledge of God in a different way. She exhibited faith, knowing that these men were agents of the living God. So she sides with God against her own people, which is acting in faith. She acted in faith knowing that if she sided with Israel, then God would protect her from the judgment that was soon to come against her city. She took a chance that she would, she would be killed either by her own people or by Israel here. So Jericho is an example of faith resting in the strength of God. Like we serve him knowing that he uses weak things, right? To shame the strong. And when we triumph over uh, the enemies of God, faith says it was all God. It wasn't us, it was him. So Rahab is an example of faith, trusting in the mercy of a righteous God to rescue us from coming judgment. She had threw herself on the mercy of this all-knowing, all-powerful God who was preparing to destroy her and her home because she lived within that city. She, she knew she wasn't worthy of anyone's respect. She certainly couldn't appeal to God on the basis of her own righteousness, right? We know that. We can't do that. But she trusted by faith that God was going to show mercy on her because she loved him and loved his people from all that she had heard. And what she would, was hearing was testimony, right? So then the author, he, he moves into the summary now. In a summary of, of his own at this point, all right? It's 32 through 38. Um, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sewn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. What more could he say? <laughs> Too much, <laughs> right? Too much, he agrees. So he, he acknowledges that time would fail him if he tried to just list them, list them all. He then he, he mentions a series of names, all of which we, we could spend. I mean, I said it last week. We could take each one of these stories and look at them, and it would take us a couple of months probably. 
So we, we could spend a, a considerable amount of time examining them, but the, the author chose to gloss over the details, so I've decided to do that as well. <laughs> so, no, I'm not taking that lightly, but it's, he's just like, look, boom, 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 boom. It's enough to note that the, the names then are arranged in a pattern, okay? The first four names are judges. Next two names are kings. Last one's a prophet. And then he mentions the other prophets in passing as well. And all of these, all of these men faced various trials. They fought battles uh, while being greatly outnumbered. They took steps that just seemed outrageous or crazy to everyone else until God showed up and vindicated them. They conquered kingdoms like Gideon. Shut, they shut the mouths of lions, uh, right? Like uh, Samson and Daniel. They quenched fire like Elijah and Daniel's friends. And some escaped death on occasions, and like Elijah. Others endured terrible deaths for their faith, like Isaiah. But women had seen love, their children, their loved ones raised from the dead because they exhibited faith in God's word. Other saints uh, suffered greatly at the hands of God's enemies. He, he lit... He ends his list focused on the suffering. You notice that? He, he lists, his list focused on the suffering of those who live by faith. Saints who, who died not for any other reason except for the fact that they loved God and desired to live according to their faith. And because of their faith, they were either stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted to dishonor God, they suffered various indignities, sharing in the Lord's reproach among those not worthy of him. So if you look at the contrast in this list, for some saints, living in faith brought rejoicing. It brought great uh, relief and celebration. While other saints living in faith, it brought them deprivation, uh, uh, suffering and death. It ought to be clear that faith does not mean prosperity and health and wealth to everyone. <laughs> Easy living. It's not automatic. That's never the point of walking in faith. But what it does bring is in 39 and 40. And all, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. What? <laughs> Same last week, right? Since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. All right. 39 and 40 is the closing summary. It takes us back to the opening statement of this chapter in verses 1 and 2, where it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old receive their uh, commendation. Okay, first the saint... Uh, gain the approval of God through living in faith. And living according to faith pleases the Father, and it meets the purposes for why we have been ushered into the family of God by His grace. We're, we're like children who do, uh, who do as their Father uh, requires. Okay, In doing so, the Father is pleased with His child. He seeks to reflect that pleasure and a reward or rewards, if you will. And I'm not talking about you know, temporal things or even uh, eternal, like, we're, you know, people talk about bigger mansions and things. I don't know that stuff. I don't go there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking, we'll get to it. Secondly, we please, we please him even though we do not receive. We may not receive what was promised. 
These saints in the hall of faith were willing to endure suffering and even death because it, it mattered not to them, right? <laughs> Their faith focused them on the eternal realm and all that it had offered. It, it was actually eternal life. It was just being with the Lord. They knew they would see the Lord's pleasure reflected there in heaven. That was enough. They knew that what awaited them in the heavenly realm was far greater than anything that they could earn for themselves now in this world. And they were willing to sacrifice earthly comfort, wealth, security, family, and even their lives to obtain what awaited them in heaven. A person would only do such a thing if they were confident that the things in heaven are far greater, uh, uh, are of far greater glory than what we can obtain here, right? They, they knew it was a good trade. <laughs> and, th you know, the thing is, it's, it's, it's about that. It's, you're, you're forgiven for sins as part of, you know, you're forgiven, you're made new, you're raised from spiritual deadness to new life and granted eternal life, right? So finally, the author says, in closing, that these saints were required, he says, to wait past their earthly lives because the Lord had something good in store for them and in us also. So did you guys catch that? All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. See, perfection consists of being resurrected. So, you're going to get different takes on that. Last day, resurrection, or on to lot, right, right now when we pass. I, I believe, you know, uh, go on now. <laughs> so, it, it's receiving, this resurrection though, it's receiving the eternal inheritance. So, the old covenant saints, they hadn't received the resurrection yet. Nobody had gone to heaven at this point and Jesus didn't said no and nobody had been except for him they they were waiting until the end of the old covenant and for the, the consummation of the new so in a very real sense these early saints they were called to wait <laughs> and even to suffer for the new covenant saints sakes so that we might be given the opportunity to join them in the kingdom if you will. So they'll be there waiting. But this all would happen uh, with the, the new. So nobody went to heaven before that. Anyway, that's the point there. So that concludes the Hall of Faith. <laughs>